0: Hello everyone and welcome to When Life Gives You Lemons, our wee podcast about tackling and coping with some of life's challenges, hosted by me Jenny McIntyre and founder of Let's, Michael Byrne.
1: Hi everyone, it's Michael Byrne here Um, welcome to episode 4 of When Life Gives You Lemons. Uh, with us today as always is Jenny and uh, we have the amazing Alexis Naismith with us today as well. It's a pleasure to have you both on the line today.
0: I'll just quickly say hello and then I'll I'll pass it over to Alexis because probably people are more excited to hear from somebody new than me again.
1: (laughs) How are you
2: Alexis? I'm good thank you. Uh, It's a a pleasure to be here today. How are you guys?
1: Oh great thanks great. Um, It's I know we know each other. Um, we've known each other for a wee while now, but I know that you know you've just been introduced to Jenny, and the, the listeners won't know you. So, in light of uh, enlightening everyone who's listening, um, why don't you tell us a wee bit about yourself, your occupation, and how you've been affected by this isolation period?
2: All right. Um, well, as you've said, my name's Alexis. Um, I'm from Glasgow, and. I am currently serving in the British Army, I've been in the Army for just over eight years now Um, and basically the reason me and you know each other is sort of through my journey having been in the Army the last few years and um, the experiences I've had which have brought me sort of to where I am today Um, and obviously with my past and everything that kind of links into isolation and how I'm coping with things now which uh, I'm sure a lot of listeners will be able to relate to today once we've sort of had a bit more of a chat.
1: Absolutely I think it's what's this week, week five now of isolation yeah, yeah, or week five. lockdown. Mm-hmm. So tell us what your rank is within the British Army. Um, so
2: I am a corporal. Uh, I promoted to corporal just over three years ago now. Um, so potentially in the not so far future, I'll be hopefully a, a sergeant with a bit of hard work. Um but we'll we'll see. We'll see where that sort of leads to. Um I don't really know how that's gonna work at the moment. I don't know if the coronavirus is gonna have a knock on effect to our work with um in relation to things like that because it's having a knock on to all different kinds of things, like people moving on to like new jobs and new locations and all that sort of stuff. So once we go back to work, we'll have a better idea of what's actually happening with everything. But at the moment, I think everything's kind of on pause, so nobody really knows where we're at.
1: Yeah, it's kind of the same for a lot of people just now, mm-hmm. isn't it? So, I, I you touched on there. We we met each other a wee while ago, and we can we can come on to that. But so, I absolutely love the fact that you're a corporal in the British Army, and every, and even just now, I know you can't see me. I sit here smiling <laughs> at the fact that you're a corporal in the British Army. So. How did you end up in your job role within the British army and how did it fit into your past you kind of touched on that but can you tell us a bit yeah, more about Yeah
2: um I mean when I, when I was in school I, I I was thinking back to what Jenny was saying on the the previous podcast she's done last week um I felt like school just wasn't for me I wasn't one for sitting behind a desk and sort of having work in front of me and trying to put pen to paper it was just never something that I was interested in and um I think I was probably bright enough I just wasn't I was lazy I was just not interested in putting the effort in and um I was I was more sort of fascinated in PE and like sports and sort of more hands-on kind of stuff and um from a very young age I just always kept thinking I want to join the army and I want to be a soldier and uh I think more so the reason that I actually went through with it was I had so many people in my life from such a young age tell me that I would never be able to do that and that I wouldn't manage it and that I wouldn't make it. And um, you know yourself, if you, you, I think there's sort of a couple of types of people in the world. You, you can get told something like that and you can be like, all right, okay, I'll just take a step back and not do that. Or you can be that person who thinks, actually, because you've told me I can't, I most definitely can, and you go for it. And I suppose that's what I did. I just, I wanted to prove everybody wrong, including myself, of course.
0: That's fantastic. And it's like that. I know you're quite into your phrases or your sayings, Michael, but it's like, I think it was Albert Einstein that said, everybody's a genius, but if you judge a fish on its ability to climb a tree, it'll live its life forever thinking it's stupid. And I think for a lot of people, it's just that kind of finding what fits for you and what works for you and and kind of not listening to everything that's going on around you and, and you know having that kind of mindset that do you know what i, I can do this
1: uh, absolutely i mean i think i often see it you know anything's possible if you believe and i think i might have said it last week that when people tell you you can't do things it's their limitations that they're putting on you not not your own limitations you know and uh I I love um the fact that uh, you're in the the British Army Alexis and uh you know I know that it's been an, an incredible journey for you even just how you you joined up for the army and what did that feel like when you you started and, or you, you signed up for it or, or how you enrolled well, in, in
2: all it? honesty I am I, um, I kept putting it on and off it was it was one of those things that I went to the careers office when I when I was about 16 years old um and I went in and you know sort of and made it known that it was something I wanted to do and I had to look at options and things and um, then every time it came to the next part in the application process I kept sort of delaying it and not going back and before I knew it you know it was like a year down the line and I, I'd only moved so far along in the process because it can be a lengthy process there are certain things you have to do there's like online tests there's fitness tests there's interviews all that kind of stuff so it can take a good few months but for me it actually took me three years to get there because I just kept putting it off and putting it off um so yeah it took me a while to get there which I think made it even more worthwhile I think at the end of it when it got to me going and doing like the selection process um you sort of you go away for two days in Edinburgh like there's like, just a, a group of people um it's all people who sort of are choosing to join and um they take you away and you have a series of tests to complete, and at the end of it, you have an interview, and they tell you whether they think you're suitable or not. And um by the end of those two days, I think I wanted it more than ever because I just didn't want to go back to the life that I had of cleaning hotel rooms and mm-hmm. pulling pints in pubs.
0: And how do you find it, um, Alexis? Being a, I know times have kind of moved on and in, in such like um, in more recent years, but how do you find it being a female? Um, in the army is there any kind of stigma that goes along with it or um do you is it i I don't know like how 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 do you find it
2: um it's actually it's all right like when you join the army and go through training they treat everybody the same you all do the same tests. you all do you know the same sort of training everybody does the exact same stuff um i think you know it definitely helps if you are one of the boys so to speak so you know if you're not afraid to get your hands dirty and um, you know if you're quite into your fitness and you're quite a fit individual and you know you can have a bit of a laugh and stuff like that it definitely helps Um, yeah you do get like you know really girly girls in the army that like to sort of have all their makeup and all that kind of stuff obviously within reason um but yeah I find the guys they generally they respect you more if you just sort of get on with it and do what they do um I think you need to be quite a you need to be quite a strong person to be in the army I don't think it's for absolutely everybody especially like females and I don't mean that in any way to like single anybody out it just is very much it's a man's sort of world like the previous job that I had before what I'm in now I worked on an infantry camp and it was 600 guys and there was I think maybe eight females in the whole camp if you were lucky so you're just surrounded by that male dominance all the time so you do need to sort of you know you need to be able to look after yourself i think and do you find
0: that makes you work harder and work well work harder for for it more like to kind of prove that prove your worth almost yeah
2: i think i think you do in a sense like i'm quite i would i would like to think i'm quite a proud person anyway i'm i'm quite into fitness and stuff so i like to be up there with the guys i like to I like to beat the guys if I can. You know, I like to be as good as I can be <laughs> <And> for myself. <laughs> um, and like work-wise, I like to be able to have them rely on me. I like them to come to me and know that what they need will get done. Sure. Um, I think it's absolutely incredible. Thank you.
1: <laughs> but not not only that, Alexis, you've done tours, haven't you? I have,
2: yeah. I um, I did six months in Kenya uh, in 2017 that was um that was like a lot of sort of um work with like the local communities and things like that we went out and like rebuilt schools and we went down to like orphanages and we done a lot of like local engagement all that sort of stuff um i was out there for 6 months I-, I loved it i had an absolute ball it was a great time that was one of the best experiences i've ever had um it was a real eye opener such a such a sad place but at the same time one of the most beautiful places if you look at it properly um, and I've also I done uh, six months in Afghanistan in
1: 2014. And I know that that tour in Afghanistan and so on um, later on caused some concerns for you.
2: Yeah, um, I mean, for anyone that's sort of military that listens to this or um, sort of knows how we work when we go on operations, it depends on your job role and what you do within the army depends on sort of what you do on operations. Um, at the time, mm-hmm. I was um, employed within logistics, so I transported equipment between camps, um, sort of outside the main camp in Afghanistan, so I was what they call outside the wire quite a lot. And um, I worked with the infantry quite a lot, and basically I uh, have, like, my HGV truck licence. So mm-hmm. I was um sort of like driving you know i know you it's it's kind of hard to explain if you don't know but like if you watch the news and you see like the big trucks on the tv and all the military vehicles sure. and all that i sort of like drive all that kind of stuff and um, right. i transported um all sorts of stuff in containers between locations and um during that time it was quite a a heavy time of conflict and we received the the back end of it quite a lot moving from a to b um whether that be sort of um, just, you know, small arms fire from like a, a you know, like a, a rifle so many hundred metres away, or sometimes it was massive rockets that were just shot from a random place and um, they would potentially land on, around or near us. Um, it was just, it was almost like a bit of a gamble. You just never knew kind of what was going to happen every time you drove out the gate.
1: Um, and I remember when, when we spoke about this a while, back, you said that, you know these rockets when you were in camp and and if i'm wrong just correct me but uh, when you were in camp and these rockets or explosions would go off near you it's almost like you kind of took them you know you got used to yeah. them and i suppose as as lay people we i would i find that incredible but i know that you kind of spoke to me about that one yeah you
2: know? absolutely i mean within the camp as well we um mm-hmm. you know we would just be in our sort of normal routine like you do you get used to it you you get up and you go to work every day, You like I would go down to the vehicle park and fix my truck or whatever kind of stuff I had to do and you'd go for lunch and all that sort of stuff but just out of nowhere, one of these rockets could come flying into the camp and just blow up anywhere randomly and um, the camp was that big that, you know, it could, it could have been, it could have landed miles away from you or it could have landed right next to you, like, you just, you never knew. And the minute one of them landed in camp, an alarm would go off because generally more than one would happen at a time and, um, as terrible as it sounds, a lot of the time an alarm would go off and we'd all look at each other and just roll our eyes and put a body armour and helmet on and lie on the floor and just kind of wait to see what happened next. It, it it actually becomes more of an inconvenience because you get that used to it and you think, oh, here we go again.
0: And how, how from experiencing that then, do you go about transitioning back into normal life, if you like, when you've just kind of experienced all that and, and for so long that is your norm? so Um, is that something that you struggled with it it
2: was actually yeah I mean it's something I didn't speak about for a long time it's something I'm quite open to speaking about now Um, that's kind of how I met Michael Um, when I came back I kind of just shut myself off from it there was there was help there and by all like by no means like blaming the army or blaming anybody there was there was help there if you felt you needed it or you know if anyone kind of thought you maybe needed it they would have like put you forward for it kind of thing but we all just came back and you know we came back with all this money having been away from our friends and families for all this time and when you come back from a war zone at at 21 years old you think you're pretty invincible so with all this money in the bank and all this time off you don't even think about that and um, that's probably the worst thing you can do because I just completely switched off from the reality of what had just happened
1: I suppose the inevitable is that I just, at some point yeah, it's going to impact upon you. Then you'll a
2: back crazy for for a few months. I um just went on a spending spree and started, you know, living this lifestyle that I definitely wasn't used to.
1: Mm-hmm. And I I suppose you know that kind of leads up to how we ended up meeting each other a couple of years ago. Now,
2: so yeah, from there I am. Um... Just like I say, I lived a crazy lifestyle and I met somebody and we got married pretty quickly, having not known each other for very long. And um, we lived like this crazy sort of party lifestyle. We were out drinking all the time. We were out spending all the time. Um, just we were living in this life that was not reality. And then, you know, after the money ran out and the reality started to kick in, I think everybody took a step back and we all kind of looked at this life we'd created around us and thought what have we done and um, from there I am I, um, I would say my life went sort of downhill I've got in a bit of a, a downward spiral and um, there was just a lot of sort of underlying issues that began to come to light that I'd sort of never addressed before and I was masking sort of the trauma if you'd like to call it from having been away and sort of not speaking about things that i'd seen and things that happened and just normal things became difficult normal things became hard like i came home from yeah. afghanistan in the may june time and um, i always remember come november when it was um guy fox night i was stood at a firework display and um when the firework display started i um, i actually had to like sort of take myself away and then um, I started being sick quite quite violently sick and um I just had like this overwhelming anxiety and I thought I just don't I don't know what's wrong with me I, I just put it down to the fact that I was going through a bit of a, a tough part, part of my life where you know I'd like sort of walked out on this marriage and you know, I was starting to get into debt and, you know, I felt like everything was kind of falling apart around me. So I, I just, I never really started to add things together until further down the line. And um, I refused to go to a doctor for any help because it's just, that's not what, uh, that's not what soldiers do, I suppose, is it? You don't, you don't go and say, yeah, I'm not feeling myself. I'm not, I'm not really sure what's going on with my, you know, my thoughts and what's going on. It, it just didn't, it didn't feel like the right thing to do. Um, I was just stressing a lot.
1: And I, and I, I, sorry, I spoke a it. And I, and, I, and I think from where I came, you know, where I've come from as well, yourself, you become, you know, you begin to become quite insular and think no one understands. I, I don't want to talk to anyone about it and so on, and that just kind of like you know snowballs. Oh, absolutely, and
2: it, yeah, it only got worse and worse. Um, you know, that year I went home sort of. So after the November, at the, December, Christmas time, I, I had time off work and um i was just i was really low um looking back on it now i would say i was really suicidal like i um i was just mm-hmm. i was just struggling with everything i just felt so sad i was crying all the time and i'm not really a crying kind of person and um i just yeah i just felt like everything was just like one big struggle i just i felt really down and really depressed and um that continued you know that was the back end of 2014 and it continued right right the way through um sort of until well I I, I suppose we'll come to it later I am um, I had I had a sort of full-on mental breakdown in Jan- uh, April 2018 but that that's quite a big window from you know the back of 2014 and sort of 2018 to be suffering and be going downhill and struggling and having all this stuff going on in your head and not sort of dealing with it and not realizing that was years on end I was suffering and I I didn't even really know it and was that
0: the kind of the turning point for you when you had your your mental breakdown and is that when you kind of thought you know what I actually quite need some help here um and is that when you kind of reached out yeah
2: definitely I mean for you know for those sort of three and a half almost four years i am um, i struggled with loads of different things and i struggled in lots of different ways like it, it took me a long time to accept that i was having a breakdown it took me a long time to accept that i was unwell and um you know i went for a, i went and got sort of a lot of therapy and counseling and all that kind of stuff and um at one point in 2015 i did go to the doctors and um I never mentioned anything about all this kind of stuff. It was for another reason. It was it was like a family related thing, and whatever questions that they had asked me, they must have like picked things out of it and they took from it sure. that they they sort of recognised signs and symptoms of me potentially having you know post traumatic stress or anxiety or depression. They definitely they recognised something from that because um I've got a chart. And it shows me how everything sort of spiraled and dipped and all that kind of stuff And the beginning point is twenty fifteen when the doctors first mm. recorded it. But I, I, I always remember them asking me things and I completely dismissed it. I was like, No, I'm absolutely fine, I don't know what you're on about. And looking back on it, I should have just asked for the help and said, Yeah, I really do need it because it only got worse over those sort of three years. It, it got it got, you know, it got really bad, yeah. as Michael kinda knows the, the full story. Um I um I actually attempted suicide um in early twenty eighteen because I'd I just had enough I just couldn't live the way I was living anymore I I was just so down I was so depressed I um I was in so much debt because I kept trying to you know buy things to cheer myself up I kept spending money thinking it was it was never gonna sort of run out and I kept going out and like drinking and like partying and just, ah, oh, just, you know, all these all these things that I just shouldn't have been doing. And I just went on to like self-destruct mode. And, you know, the, something that Michael always says, if you ever hear him doing a talk, his personal life and his private life went way downhill. But work-wise, his career and everything was going amazing. Because, you know, I, I did what he did. I solely fixated myself on work. I put all my sure. efforts into my work. And that's why i am where i am today i got promoted because i kept working and working and you know really going the extra mile all the time to to get where i am today which obviously is a good thing but i completely destroyed the rest of my yeah. life in the process and, and of that. It's, uh,
1: it's that thing alexis isn't it but where you know as soon as you stop working or you've got time off or whatever that that self-sabotaging part is still there it's undealt with and you know that that's likely to be what you do when you're not yeah. busy at work or, or and so on. Certainly for me, that's exa- when I wasn't working, I was throwing myself into my career. At weekends, the self-sabotaging part was still there because I wanted to feel something different than the pain of the yeah, PTSD and all the other things. You
2: know, um, I, I must be one of the only people in in the army that didn't want like a leave window to come. Because when we get leave periods, it's two or three week mm-hmm. blocks at a time. And um, every time one came, I'd be like, no, I'll, I'll do duty. I would volunteer to like you know cover um, sort of any extras or whatever because I just I didn't want to go home and stop for those few weeks because I just knew it would make it worse if it did.
0: Sure sure and so then it reached that kind of point and, and you reached out and is that did things start to kind of Get better for um, you, almost. After that yeah, point. I mean,
2: there was, there was sort of, there was two incidents. So, like I said, I um, I attempted suicide in early twenty eighteen, um, and it was all kept very hush hush, and I, I sort of made all the promises and all the pledges that I was going to, you know, seek help and, you know, um, do what I've got to do to get better. And I knew in my head when I said it that it was a lie. I just wasn't interested at all, and um. Mm-hmm sort of like eight weeks later I, I um, was basically back to the same position where I was I was I was just I was very suicidal and I just I didn't want to be here anymore like it was as simple as that and um I just knew I had to get the help and that night I spoke to my friend who was basically in the exact same position and she was in the process of getting medically discharged from the army for sort of similar reasons um she'd obviously reached out and got help maybe about a year prior to when everything had sort of happened with me. And um, she said, like, you know, all the signs and the symptoms, it's everything that I'm experiencing, it's everything sort of similar. And um, I would say it was from there that the next day I took myself to the doctors and I just, I broke down like in this like doctor and when I say doctors it's military doctors and I broke down in front of this sort of captain and I just said to him like I can't I can't cope I can't do this like and when someone's asking you what you can't what can you not do why do you not want to be here when you don't have an answer for that it just makes it worse I was like I, I don't know I don't I don't know what to say to you like there was just so much to like get out and so much to explain and if I was to go through my whole life story my whole life you know, my whole timeline would would have to have two or three podcasts to cover it all. So,
0: so, like when I went
2: in for this ten minute doctor's appointment, I think by the end of it, when I walked out, I think even he was relieved and he must have thought, "Oh my goodness, I was not expecting that this morning." And you know, that's why I was I was referred to a psychiatrist, a psychologist. Um, I had like occupational health on board. I um I had I had a lot of support in place, which obviously was brilliant, but for a full sort of year and a half to two years, I was like speaking to all these people about all these things, you know, week in, week out. And um, it was a long process. It was a long sort of recovery. But um, obviously it was worth it because I'm in a much better place today, two years down the line than I was, you know, back in 2018.
0: And I suppose, like you say, that the fact that it had gone on for, for so, so long, there must have been so much for you to kind of personally work through and work on and and speak about for um to kind of cut the other end like definitely I mean
2: it made me realize that I'd been suffering with sort of depression from a really young age I'd had no I, I didn't have the worst childhood in the world but I didn't have the best either and um I'd been suffering you know from a very young age with anxiety and depression and I'd never realized that until you know I was like where I am now basically. It it takes sometimes for you to reflect on something and open up and talk about it for other things to start unfolding. And that's sort of where I've ended up now. Like I think I'm more sure of myself now. I'm more mm-hmm. confident just in general in life because now everything makes more sense. I grew up feeling pretty confused about a lot of things. I just I felt so unhappy all the time and I just Like it was very clear that depression is a real thing i didn't even believe depression was a thing until i'd like fully experienced it and had a diagnosis of it and um it just it made sense you know a lot of things didn't for such a long time and i just couldn't see the light in anything i was just so negative about everything all the time and now Mm -hmm. it all just fits together now I, i understand it all
1: I think it's only, um, Alexis, I think it's only sometimes when you look back and can join the dots together and think that's why, you know, that's what happened mm-hmm. because of that, yeah, because absolutely. of that, because of that. And But when you're, no. you you don't see it like that, you just see it. Here's another thing that's happened. I don't know why this is unexplainable, but when you get to a point like where you are now, and I know we spoke about that, you can kind of look back and go, I felt that way because yes. of this, because of that, because, of you know, something happened at a certain yeah, point, and absolutely. it makes perfect sense. But... So lost totally. it, you don't and
2: it just, I look back on it now and I think I can't believe I suffered the way I did for so long and still just got on with my life it's just absolutely it's its bizarre that I allowed it to go on that long but when you don't know and you don't even realise you just get on with it because it's the norm
1: hmm. I totally agree and, and I know Jenny you won't, you won't know this and anybody who's listening won't know it uh, and you know I know, well, hopefully you don't make me uh, mention Alexis, but Alexis and I both met at a support group uh, yep. just pretty much two years ago, Um, coming up for two years, and we were at the same support group, and both of us, uh, when uh, Alexis said uh, she, you know, believed um, was diagnosed with PTSD, and I said that I had PTSD, it's almost as if we both thought we've never yep. heard anyone else admit openly they've got PTSD, so we're not alone, and that's oh, really a real comfort, because... isn't it?
2: Like uh, like you know Michael and like you've just said We met at a support group And that support group really was What I felt like was a last hope for me Like I said I was feeling so low So mm-hmm. suicidal And having, you know you know, My first attempt failed Obviously it's been a good thing But I I've, I've thought to myself If I'm going to do it again I'm going to make sure I get it right this time Because obviously it's something I really want to do It's something that keeps playing in my mind And I just, I don't feel any better I just it it sounds really strange, but it's like I wanted it even more the second time because I didn't do it properly the first time. And mm-hmm. I just I yeah. I just felt like it was the only thing for me now. And um when I went online and found this support group it was a Saturday night and you know, it was such a sunny night and it was it was like a really you know, it was a beautiful evening and I just sat thinking, I don't even care about anything like that. I don't appreciate things like this anymore. I just need to get Wednesday and get to this group. And if I don't feel any better after Wednesday, that is it. And um, I just remember that week just waiting and hanging on for the Wednesday night. And um, when I went in, I was I was extremely anxious. And I sort of, I just, I always remember seeing Michael straight away. And um, straight away, I just felt like it was like a friendly face, like a friendly voice. And um, <laughs> I got, I, I sort of, I followed, they, they said, you know, Right, everyone kind of split down into groups of five or six because roughly there was sort of like maybe between 15 and 20 people that turned up on an average evening and um would split down into groups and just have little chats because if we all went around the room we'd be there for kind of hours by the time everyone had kind of had a turn just to speak about what was on their mind or whatever and um because I sort of felt this like good energy from Michael I thought I'm going to follow him and see where he was and sits so um I went and sat in his group and um Everyone had been to this meeting before I had ever been. And um, they said, you can go last and have a little chat if, you, if you're up for it. And initially, I was like, there's no way I'm like saying anything. I don't even really know what I'm doing here. And um, Michael sat next to me and he went first. And um, as soon as he said that he'd been diagnosed with post-traumatic stress, I just, I felt like this flood of overwhelmed sort of relief, release from my body. And I just could not believe it. I could not believe that there was another person in this room that was going to understand what was on my mind. And even though mine and Michael's stories are completely different and our journeys are totally, you know, opposite ends, I just felt like I could relate to so much that he was saying. And I just knew the minute I spoke that he was going to relate to me. And it was like, I don't know, it was just, it was the best feeling ever. And
0: probably that kind of realisation of,
2: I'm not alone Mm -hmm. here yeah absolutely it's it's really it's hard to explain if anyone sort of listening ever meets that person where they just feel like this person that I'm you know meeting for the first time totally gets me then they'll, they'll understand what I'm saying it's it was a very indescribable moment and since then myself and Michael have been very good friends you know like we've sort of mentioned we've worked together in like small charity work that we sort of put together and um we've been involved in a number of other things um sort of mental health related but aside to that you know there has been the occasion where we we'll, we we'll meet for meet for a little a cheeky beer or a coffee or whatever like we've had a very good friendship from this and that's probably one of the best things i can always take from it
1: absolutely and i and i always remember that night vividly alexis as well and and it's life changing life changing for me and I think that just as you said to, to everyone that's listening, you know, when you're struggling with your mental health, you think that mm-hmm. you're alone. Nobody's going to get you. Nobody's going to understand. The whole world's all dealing. The whole world's all yep. happy, but yourself, you know. And that's certainly how I felt And then to actually meet someone who, first of all, has the same diagnosis yeah. of you, um, it's just overwhelming because now absolutely. you then think mm-hmm. I'm not alone. It's, you know, and I and I heard your story, and it absolutely blew me away. And you know, everything I've heard ever since it does. And I just think, you know, we've we've got, as you say, the opposite ends. You've got PTSD potentially from combat, you know, that that combat going. And a lot of people think that's where PTSD comes from. And I, whenever I told anyone, I didn't know what to do with that PTSD. The first question I would get was, Mm -hmm. oh, you know, do you serve in in the army? So it was almost like for me, it was like, well, how have you got PTSD if you've never been in the army? So it's really, it's great for the two of us to kind of have the same illness, but to have you know military ptsd you know aligned with it and non-military because it just shows the world that there are different forms of ptsd and mental illness and and it's incredible
2: uh, the day that i came to that meeting i'm sure it was that morning or the morning before i'd been in with my psychiatrist and that was the morning that i'd got my diagnosis and he said to me you've got ptsd anxiety and depression i knew deep down that i had anxiety and depression but actually hearing that I had post-traumatic stress was really tough on me to take because it just, it, it's it's difficult, and I'm I'm sure I, I would speak for a lot of people who, who are serving or have served that have been diagnosed with that. It's like t- telling someone, you know, telling a soldier that they've got that is like, that would be like, you know, telling an Olympic runner that they they're going to cut their legs off, like you can't run anymore. It was just the strangest thing, and it was it just hit me really hard because I thought what are the chances of that I've been one place one time and I've been like caught off guard and now it's like it's messed with my head and there's people out there who've had far worse experiences there was people out there who had far worse tours than me but there's also people who haven't experienced anything half as bad as me who've got post-traumatic stress it just affects everybody in different ways and I think, like I said, when I was out there, I got so used to all these bangs and all these explosions and, you know, got gu- gunshot going over my head and, like, bullets flying through the air and whatnot. That became normal, and that is absolutely not normal. That is not OK. But I was there for that long, and I became that used to it. It just it did become normal, which is such a bizarre thing, probably, for you guys to hear. But to me, it's so normal.
1: You know, I'm, and I don't know, about, I don't know about Jenny, but every time I hear that... And I'm not smiling because I think I just think it's incredible when you say that hearing bullets whizzing by is is the norm. And I suppose it shows you how Absolutely. you can adjust to situations that are... For, for people, for someone like me, that just sounds like, as we've said before, the polar opposite of where my life and my reality is being, but it just shows you how desensitized you can be to some things that you realize later are really detrimental to you it's
2: ruined simple things for me now like fireworks i know what fireworks are and i know i'm in a safe place i know you know i've maybe went to an event where there's going to be fireworks but it's the feeling and the sound and you know the sort of big flash in the sky, it still makes me feel that way. It still gives me that fear. It still makes my heart race. It still makes me feel sick. Even though I'm very aware of what it is, it still affects me. And you know I think it's um...
1: totally agree. Psychological damage, isn't it? I mean I'm I'm the same. Whenever I hear a helicopter, I I want to run for cover. Mm -hmm. Even though I know that nothing's ever going to happen. But you you know, it's that reaction that Psychologically, is in you, and you you can't really do anything about it. You just have to have the message in your mind. A minute later, that I'm okay, I'm safe, I'm all right. It's not going to happen. But you can't really stop yeah, that reaction the instant that it happens. You know.
0: And I think it's amazing as well that w- while you're in that and and you're thinking it's the norm, your your brain kind of puts a protection over you to go to to make you think that you can you can cope with that and this this is normal. But actually, subconsciously you're not coping with it as well as you think you are and it's not till you then reflect on it and, and you're back in a kind of safe environment if you like that you think wow that that wasn't that
2: wasn't yeah normal. no totally and you know it happens a lot like at the moment obviously we've got what with you know the COVID-19 and all that sort of stuff going on we have the NHS um, sort of applause that we do on a Thursday night. And um, sure. within my community, it's brilliant. Mm-hmm. Like everybody's out, and they've got music on, and everyone's out in the street dancing and all that. But there's someone who has fireworks every week, and I think that's brilliant. It's great that they're doing that, but it puts me off going out and standing because I just don't like being too near to that kind of noise. Sure. And, um, sure. So are you
0: are you at lockdown? Are you in lockdown? I at am. Home? Yeah. Just now then, you're not like rather than at work. Um,
2: no, I'm. I'm in lockdown and... at home at the moment. Yeah.
0: Ah right, okay, okay. So what have you been doing then to keep yourself occupied during well, the
2: lockdown? I'm, I'm sort of, I'm one of these people where if I stop, then I, I sort of think too much and it doesn't work. I'm, I always have to be going a hundred miles an hour, which I know wasn't always good. And um, my friend sent me like a little quote the other day, and it was something along the lines of, you know, if you're someone that's a hundred miles an hour and you stop, it's, it means you're gonna have to sort of face reality and think about what's really going on and all that kind of stuff and being 100 sure. mile an hour allows you to avoid that and I says to her it's very true like that is me to tea, but I can't change that being busy is what sort of keeps me going and um mm-hmm. since lockdown started well I've never had such organized cupboards and drawers in my whole life <laughs> <laughs> everything is looking really you know really tidy and really neat um I've um Obviously, my mum, she's just down the road, um, at sort of the other side of Glasgow from me, but she doesn't keep very good health, so I'm sort of in dropping off, you know, fruit and juice and all that kind of stuff to her every other day, and um, I've actually I've got uni work to be getting on with, which I'm avoiding at all costs, which I'm sure for any students listening are doing <laughs> the exact same. I am um, I'm a distant learner. My um my work basically fund me to do my degree, sort of um outside working hours and um it's it's great it's been a great opportunity but trying to find the motivation to do it even when i've got absolutely nothing else to do that's yeah you want to be busy but yeah. just not study yeah. <laughs> i know <But> the feeling <laughs> i'm just not yeah, getting the, the words on the paper at the yeah. moment i'm i'm really trying but i just keep finding another drawer that needs tidied out so so i
1: suppose alexis the probably the, the last question would be just looking back maybe over the last couple of years from May 18 to May 20 and where you were then to where you are now. And it's obviously been a a fantastic journey for you through recovery to, to where you are now. And I suppose I, question probably most people are wanting to answer or, or to find some information about this. what advice would you give to anyone who's struggling just now maybe with their mental health or indeed in isolation and just bear in mind some of the things that we've spoken about so well, what kind of advice you know, do you think my sort of at this time? way of
2: coping in life is to sort of stay proactive and stay busy um and it's an obvious one and i know all people are probably sick of hearing it but fitness is a really big thing for me Um, I have days like everybody else like today I really had a battle with myself to get out of bed and go run today and I I did make myself do it and I feel so much better for it but the argument I had in my head for five hours today before I went was difficult and there are some days where I just won't do it but I know that I always feel so much better on the days that I do and Mm. another big thing in the morning Mm. when I get up I get up and I make my bed straight away. Like I think it was you that said it to me Michael mm-hmm. if you get out of bed in the morning and you make your bed you've already won, yeah. that's it, your day's started and you're good to go and it always feels so much better for that coming into a made bed is so much better than it just being a heap from where you left yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah
0: There's
1: a couple of things that I picked up on and and I'll, I kind of mentioned something earlier on when you said about fitness and I, and when you said about beating the, <laughs> the blokes uh, in your camp and about, I don't know, when was it? About six months ago, yep. Alexis, you invited me along to a boot camp for a, a, a fellow <laughs> uh, soldier who does boot camp. So I went along on this Saturday morning, <laughs> totally forgetting that I was 50 or whatever. And this guy puts through torture <laughs> for me anyway. And Alexis was leading the field the whole time. And here I'm thinking, my God, I wish I could be as fit as Alexis. (laughs) I wish I could run the way Alexis runs. And Alexis pretty much lapped me um, by the time we had finished. So uh, I absolutely have seen Alexis, um, you know, fitness levels. And I totally, I know and agree with you that it's such a big thing for mental health. Absolutely. It's it's one of my
2: biggest things because to me, when I'm out running, all I can focus on is running. I don't think about anything else. And, you know, if you push yourself to that point where you're absolutely hanging out, all you can think about is the fact that you're hanging out. So you're just not thinking about anything else. And it's just, mm-hmm. it's like a relief for your mind. You know, it just, I don't know. It it really works for me. It might not work for everybody, but I always recommend it. And it just makes mm-hmm. you feel better. And let's face it, we're all eating like crazy, being stuck in the house. I'm enjoying that. I'm enjoying maybe far too many treats at the moment, but... I'm trying my best to balance it out with a bit of (laughs) of fitness but um obviously with the fitness being a big a big part of maintaining mental health for me another thing I would always put out to everybody kind of what we've touched on being around other people who are similar to you and maybe understand you have had the same diagnosis or just understand mental health in general that to me has been my biggest sort of tool for using in recovery and staying sort of stable um like I said meeting Michael and meeting someone that I understood and that understood me that was probably the biggest part of my recovery I always say to Michael I feel like you saved my life because I was so set on going to that meeting and being let down and disappointed by it and if I hadn't been in that group with Michael I don't know who else I would have met that night and would I have met anyone else that had post-traumatic stress the chances are really slim and The journey that we've been on together has been really incredible over the last two years and I just I couldn't change that for the world and on the days that I'm having a bad day I'll message Michael and I'll just be like how you doing how's things and you know just to have that chat with somebody that's sort of on my level it just it makes such a difference and going to that group and being around people who were struggling just it, it it helped it helped me more than any doctor or any psychiatrist ever did. Because I just felt like everyone was in the same boat and we all understood each other. And that's what I would say to anybody. If you are struggling, just come forward to someone, anyone, even, you know, something from this podcast, like a link or go on our We Speak page and drop us a message because it makes such a difference being able to talk to people that understand.
0: And there is so many amazing support networks and communities out there. Like you say... you attending that one night, you
2: feel Absolutely. saved your
0: life, so please reach out. Um, there's
2: the help that yeah, you need out and, there. You know, I used to hear people say things like that all the time, and it just never clicked in my head to think, Do you know, what maybe I actually need this help. And you know, if anybody sort of thinks maybe you know that small part of them might just need it, just speak to someone anyway. It might turn out you didn't need help like you think, but you know, sometimes all it takes is just a little chat. and that's that's what i just i recommend for anybody just be around or be involved with people who you know will understand you and can listen because you just don't realize how far it can sort of take you and how much it can help you sure sure
0: well alexis thank you so much for sharing your story and being our very first guest on when life gives you lemons it was really great to hear your story and how you've kind of come out the other end and you're so inspiring and being a female corporal in the army I just think it's absolutely incredible no I
2: really um, I really appreciate you guys asking me to come on today um I was really thrilled when Michael asked me to um I'm all for getting involved in things like this I think it's really important and um yeah just I feel really privileged to be a part of it so thank you very much